All right, we good to go? I think so. As good uh, as we're going to get. As I'm going to get, that's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> I realize your guys' show is for the lore, which seems like it actually, for the lore! And it almost works. On the coding dude to try to help a golf. You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. out of guitar oh i know <laughs> <laughs> jesus vince <laughs> hello <laughs> all right let's try that again see we're back to amateur hour at for the lore <laughs> yes shut up dude <laughs> this is, <laughs> i'm not even editing this out <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to Fourth and Lore. This is Roger coming to you on Monday, Jesus. Monday, the 26th of March. <laughs> really is amateur hour. It's, it's medicated, though, hey. amateur hour. <laughs> At least I'm here, is what it boils down to. <laughs> so, yes, I am still sick, as you can quite obviously tell. I will try to edit out as many coughs as I can, but trust me, there's still going to be some in the finished product, but I don't give a rat's ass. Uh, Vince Drinking is... game. Take a shot every time Roger coughs. Yeah, you'll be basically. dead before Joe calls. Yeah, really. <laughs> Joe is going to be late. He's going to be here probably in a half hour or so because Bastard was late for work, which means he's late for this job, too. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start without him, though. We got some... Uh, we got some interesting news this week. We're going to start with the news that, frankly, I don't see as a big deal and move on to some really cool stuff, actually. The people have been freaking, just freaking out about this epic Mickey 2 being a musical. And I'm thinking, have you ever watched a Disney movie? They're all musicals. I frankly don't see the problem here. I don't, I don't understand why this Wait, is... People are against it? I've read some. What? I've read some that are like, this is going to be stupid. I'm thinking, really? It's a Disney. It's I know it's a game, but... <laughs> so the a... game about the mouse with the magical paintbrush and his friend the rabbit with a remote control. control... <laughs> That's all all right, <laughs> but don't let them sing. <laughs> There's only so much stupidity that I can put up with, damn it. <laughs> Singing mice, whoever heard of such a thing. <laughs> but no, I have. I've read... and uh, But no, I... Frankly, although you know what, after the, after the first one, I'm, I don't know. I don't care how much they do to this. I I don't know. It's not really on my radar. I don't know about you. Uh, it's not on my radar, but I think they're they're definitely taking it in the right direction, making some good changes. First of all, it's no longer going to be exclusive to the Wii, so that's a huge, yeah. huge point in its favor. It's coming to PlayStation Three with Move support and Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, but uh, no Connect. But I, I like it that they're they're 
they're improving on the formula. Like the one big complaint I heard from a lot of people about the first one was that yeah, they you can make all these cool changes in the environment, but nothing lasted. As soon as you came back, you had to do it all over again. So they're taking it a little bit more permanence with this one where the changes you make are going to stay changes. I mean, you always have the option to redo it, but it's going to have the world's going to have some more permanence to it. So I I'm still not terribly interested, but then again, I'm not quite the intended audience. Well, see, that's the thing too. I, it, it is going to depend what that intended audience is, because quite frankly, I still, as much as I don't have a, I don't, I don't care if it's a freaking musical or not. I, I don't know. I'm not that much into a game that would be a musical, though. I, I don't know that I would want to play it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can see that. I, I'm just interested to see how they actually pull it off, though. I, oh, yeah. I am very curious to, to, to know more about this game through a non-gameplay aspect. <laughs> yeah, it'd be something that I think would be cool to play with, you know, a niece, a nephew, a kid, if you got them, whatever kind of thing. But I can't see myself. I'm not against them doing it, but I, I don't know. I can't see that it'll be something that I really care that much. Whereas before we found out that Epic Mickey was not quite so epic. I was interested in the concept. I was more interested in what it was to, and, and well, I thought I was going to play it. Yeah, I can buy that. All right, let's move away from there. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure Joe would have a lot more to say, but <laughs> he's not here. <laughs> let's move on Someone to the walk. should have woke up on time. Yeah, really. <laughs> Get to work on time, shall I guess. All right, let's move on to a walking dead because this is something that I've been watching for a while now. The uh, telltale games is working, has been working on the walking dead game for uh, a while. And of course they made like the, um, uh, the recent back to the future game. And this is supposed to be something that has even more, um, well, mobility and things like that, that you can move around, but also, you're going to have more choices in terms of what it is that you're, you're, how you're choosing to play the game and, and how you're interacting with the people there. But not just that, but the choices that you're making are in a very diminished minor effect kind of way going to have an impact on things that happen in future episodes as well. The episodes are going to be coming out starting in April for five bucks a piece, which is a joke. The second Q&A came out for this, as well as an interview with uh, Kirkman. I don't know if you got a chance to watch both of those. Oh, indeed I did. I am i don't know if it's—if you're as excited for this as I am. I'm really, really looking forward to this. And even more so because it's not Rick. Because it's <laughs> in that world, and we're going to see different things from people in the world, yes, but not necessarily following Rick in the same stories we've seen again and again now. And more importantly, it's based on the comic and not the TV show. That's a big one there. <laughs> that's, that's a huge win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, and just that, that interview with Kirkman really sold me. Like, just seeing... Anytime this guy talks about something, he's so passionate about it, and he sells me on it. I've bought damn near everything on the planet with Kirkman's name attached to it just because he speaks so well to his own product. And it's also nice to see A.J. Lacasio still getting work, even though he's not voicing Marty McFly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like the – like you are saying, the choice-based stuff, but I really liked how they showed in that little gameplay trailer the choices involved in like the dialogues and how – various characters will pick up on what you're saying and if you as a player aren't careful they're actually going to catch you in lies that's cool i like that 
um, again, like th- this is something that Kirkman was talking about too, saying like people are going to bitch and complain that it's not a first person shooter type of zombie game, um, like you're left for dead and things like that. And there's a place for those games, but that's not the walking dead. The walking dead mm-hmm. is about the interactions between the people. And so when you see those, because of the, they, they actually showed some playthrough, um, when you see that and you see how you're interacting with people and the choices that you're making and like you're saying how the um, something could come back and bite you in the ass later on or whatever and you see that in one of the examples there with uh, with Herschel and I, I really love that. Granted, it's kind of hard to tell just how much of an impact it's going to have throughout mm-hmm. the story. I'm, I'm really hoping that it'll have quite serious of an impact depending on what type of choices that you're making. But again, this is one of those things where it's going to be hard to tell just how varied the gameplay, not necessarily the gameplay, but the story will be. There's no way in hell that they can afford to do something like Mass Effect where, you know, people are having completely different outcomes to all kinds of things. I hope I get the blue ending in Walking Dead. Yeah, really. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I mean, even just a little, at least you've got a little bit more control over, you know, how you want to play that character. Yeah, unfortunately, he's kind of screwed because, again, from what the gameplay we saw, the people he's surrounded with are too dumb to flip the batteries around in the range. <laughs> I was looking at that, and I was killing myself because it's like, really? This is going to be the challenge you of the game? It. My God, I hope it gets a little bit tougher than that. I, I do want to touch on the art style, though. I really like what they're doing here. And Kirkman nailed it. He's like, they've managed to get an art style that's similar to the look of the comics without attempting to replicate it because you you really can't. And first of all, the game is in freaking color, so that's a huge step away. But when you really look at the characters and look at the shadows and, and the features, you can see the same style of the comic there in the game. I was going to say the same thing. I was really, really impressed. It, it... Now, I was impressed with it early on when we saw some things. And then when he talked about it as well, it was just kind of reinforced what I'd been thinking. I, I love the look of it um, very, very much. In in some scenes, it's funny because it, it almost has um, a Borderlands look to it, just not as mm-hmm. saturated, but that same kind of cell shading almost. And it does look reminiscent of... The, uh, the comic book series, although I'm not going to lie to you, it looks freaking better. And <laughs> and I just thought it looked fantastic. The people look great. And, I mean, especially when you're going up against, you're seeing him going up against zombies as well. The um, you got to be careful in how you do that. It has to be still visually frightening or, you know, it, gripping. It has to, they have to be tense moments. But it's easy to kind of... I don't want to say downplay, but you can screw it up with a, the wrong type of art style. And no, he nails it. Like when, he, when he's hitting the zombie woman in the head with the hammer, and it's like he's not stopping either. She ain't moving, but he keeps going. And on the <laughs> last one, the hammer gets stuck inside of the skull, and he has to pull it out a little bit. And it's like, okay, you guys have got it. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my money. I might actually give you my money twice just so I can play it on my iPad and something else. Yeah, normally I'm I'll wait for like all the episodes to get out and then play it in like one big marathon. Like I at least tried to do with Back to the Future before the damn thing wouldn't work. 
but I don't know. This one, I don't know if I'm going to be able to wait. I know. I'm going to get them as they come out for sure. I That's how I did Back to the Future for uh, for most of it. And uh, and it was nice because you're, you're always looking for something else to come out. Now that they've proven that they can do that kind of thing. So they've got a good track record. I'm I'm really looking forward to... Although I got to tell you, I... I didn't check to see what the release schedule actually is on this game. Did you? No, but what was it for Back to the Future? They came out like one every two months, I think. Not even. It was even less than that. Yeah. yeah. So I would assume the same here. Yeah. But Telltale I've... has always had a really you know, speedy release schedule. But this, these are requiring quite a bit more work, too, so I don't know. Well, who knows how much they have done at this point. That's true as well. Okay, let's move on from there unless there was something else. Ah, I think we got it. Okay, good. Let's move on to Darksiders 2. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Dude, the, the more I see about this game, the more impressed I am. I, we have our future top 10 best-selling game of the year here. I highly doubt it. Because, <laughs> dude, I watched that official trailer, and it was like, meh, really? Nah, this... There was nothing to it. It it just has this sense of style and everything. To, as soon as I see any videos of this game, I just get in a certain mindset and I am in there. Like this is my type of what I'm looking for. It, it, different people have different tastes. As somebody who grew up on Joe Madreira's artwork, this is, it instantly resonates with me at least. All right. But I, at least from what I'm seeing, they're deviating quite a bit from the traditional Zelda formula that they had in the first uh, Darksiders game and really just making it more of the world. The environments are huge. The exploration, we, we touched on this last week too, is going to be a much more important part of the game. A, because Death himself can actually get to places instead of clunky-ass war, but also because you're going to get rewarded for it. When you did some exploring... You can't even really call it much exploring in the first Darksiders. You're going through the level and, oh, there's something there, obviously. I better go see what it is. But Darksiders 2 is really going to reward you for checking out those nooks and crannies, seeing what's over the top of that building by what is the greatest uh, incentive in all of gaming, loot. <laughs> Loot is your reward for exploration. You get badass weapons, cool armor. They're really making this even more of an RPG style to the game with uh, your your talent trees and your loot management and your statistics and this and that. And I just love the, ga- the this quote here from one of the developers. As far as I'm concerned, every game would be better with loot. Madden football should have loot. <laughs> I can't disagree. New sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> now it's it's just a game that is what I'm looking for, and I really loved the first one. So this one's bigger, better, and badasser. So I'm all for it. It's <laughs> they're gonna have to do more to impress me, honestly. At this point, from I, you... I, they've got plenty of time, but based on what I've read and seen so far, I'm still not impressed. Did you play the first? I played part of it. I never did finish it. Mm. But that's that's par for the course with a lot yeah. of games for me. Let's be honest. <laughs> How many games have you finished? I can count them on two hands. No, I've finished quite a few, but there's still... <laughs> I, the problem is, is that I buy a lot of games, too. So 
there's just so, again so much time in the day so there's a lot of games i just never go around to fi- i'm that guy when they say you know x amount of percentage of people yeah. never finish <laughs> that's me i'm in that percentage <laughs> whereas my son my son is a completist he starts again it's great i'm all for it and i'm like okay tell me what he happened tell you about all yeah. this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like he pays for some of the games himself and then we also buy him games and all that and i don't know if it's just although i didn't have that mentality when i was young but wanting to get his money's worth or if it's just that i don't know but man he'll stick right through and finish it i was like good for you (laughs) the apple fell far from the tree on that one (laughs) okay let's move on to another one that i haven't finished the assassin's creed series and we got some more information (laughs) about three all right uh first of all we had some big media stuff today involving some really nice looking screenshots uh really not much more i can say about the screenshots other than the game looks damn good a a huge leap from its predecessors yeah it does look very good but the big news is the uh, collector's editions that they have yes plural there are three of them Uh, i guess we'll start at the bottom of the pile with the special edition uh fancy packaging and an exclusive single player mission which allows you to get the flintlock musket weapon that's about it you have the join or die edition which gives you the game in slightly fancier packaging. A medallion, some uh, nice little packaged items, a notebook from George Washington that really delves into the lore of the Assassin's Creed universe as it pertains to the American Revolution. A completely different single-player mission where you get this badass war club and a multiplayer package which gets you some fun little things in multiplayer mode. And then, of course, there's the Freedom Edition which is the game in what's admittedly a damn nice looking box because the art is from Alex Ross, who is, you know, comics artwork God, a freaking statue of Connor, <laughs> the same uh, pack-ins as the liver die edition, uh, join or die, sorry, uh, lithograph, the same content that was in the join or die edition, as well as another single player mission Uh, That gets you a cool little cutlass for exploring the Mayan ruins. So right off the bat, we're seeing three different single-player missions spread across the editions. And the one multiplayer pack that only comes in two of that's They're just splitting up a lot of content here. Like, even if you get the most expensive edition, you're missing the one mission that comes packed into the regular special edition. See, that's... I, I don't like that. I... I'm all. I understand that they're trying to use different incentives to get people to buy something more than just the regular game. It's not the first time we're seeing mm-hmm. multiple collectors. I mean, Reckoning did the and, same kind of thing as well. And props to them for having an edition that doesn't have the statue. Yeah, but the 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 problem is is that, like you said, when they start including actual in-game content. And you need to purchase more than one version of the game if you want to play all of that content. Now, granted, I'm sure some of this will be sold off as DLC. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not that big a deal. But still. If I'm getting the expensive statue copy, I better be getting all of the pre-release content. I agree. I agree. When you're looking at... (coughs) Jesus. (coughs) When you're looking at um, minor DLC stuff... 
where you're getting a few different things, then like that's different. Skins, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like that's that, not yeah. a big deal. And and even when you're looking at um, multiplayer characters, you're gonna get somebody different based on which one you get. And you know what? I'm fine with that. But when you start looking at entire missions, entire you know different quests and things like that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I'm not cool with that. That's, no. <laughs> Especially like you say, if you're paying, and I didn't see a price here. I'm betting no. you that big ass one. Yeah, buck 50, it's standard at this point. I'm thinking probably more than that. I wouldn't be surprised. Now, there is a little bit of good news, at least for you and me. These editions are European only. Really? Yes. Oh, they're they're bound to do something similar here. Though. Something, but I, I, with most games at at least, uh, the European versions tend to be a bit more grandiose. So, it I'm sure we'll get some sort of special edition, but I don't know if it'll be quite the uh, smorgasbord we're being presented with here. Really, that's interesting, especially with the considering the the content of what mm-hmm. this Assassin's Creed is. I would think that the American version would have the the awesome stuff but you also have to keep in mind ubisoft is a french company so french montreal though they're french everywhere (laughs) they're french bastards here's what you're saying it doesn't matter what country they're in (laughs) (laughs) they they have studios all over the world none of them in america so no but the uh, this is coming out of i believe i could be wrong but i thought this assassin's creed came out of the montreal office i don't pay attention they don't speak my language well, no, they do. <laughs> <laughs> it's just with an accent. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. I don't, I don't understand what the hell they're saying. Yeah, you don't understand what I say. All right. So <laughs> that being said, if those three were offered here, which one would you pick up? Honestly, I'd probably just get the, the, the lowest one. Right. Like there's, there's not enough meat in the in the join or die edition for me i don't care about the medallion i don't care about the the diary i can read that online Jesus. basically all i'm missing is <laughs> one single player mission but i'm also getting a single player mission that the other people don't have so yeah it's kind of a trade-off for me yeah and if i'm saving the money i can just buy the single player mission later the DLC. yeah no i agree that's the one i was looking at joe is wigging out over that medallion <laughs> you know that's this the one kid i swear up. he has a collection of every single DLC pack-in ever. Like, oh, the compass. I have a collection of compasses. <laughs> <laughs> There's oh, only oh, one oh, game oh. that's come out with a compass. It's not oh, even out this, yet. <laughs> this one comes with the metronome. I can put that in my metronome cabinet over on the other side of the hey, house. Hey, that would be awesome. I put that beside my freaking, my, my, my Normandy. <laughs> I've got my little Normandy ship now. That would go perfect beside it. <laughs> we already talked about the three collector's editions? Yes. I hate the fact that I want them all. That's all I have to add. (laughs) So I guess, again, I didn't realize these were the American, or sorry, the European ones. So it doesn't really matter. You're not getting any of these anyway. I know. Either that or you can try to convince Malagash to send you one of them. I might. I might try. (laughs) I might might try to find something he wants in exchange. (laughs) Well, then you're better off with Hooks because we know what he wants in exchange. Yeah, really. Yeah, but I'm not my, willing to give that. My Tardinair <laughs> ticket. <laughs> okay, let's talk. We're going to save Mass Effect for a little bit. Um, let's do a little bit of talking about World of Warcraft Spence. and the news. Yeah, really. <laughs> Just let it build for a bit. Um, try to talk a little bit about Mr. Pandaria. Joe, you Pandora got to watch 2012. Really? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, no, don't make fun of me. I think it's awesome. It's my little video journal. Thank you. Um, actually, Mr. Pandera has been like the hot topic, right? Because the beta has officially started. Um, it's a kind of a closed beta right now. Not a lot of people have gotten into it. They're slowly trickling people in from the um, annual pass. Um, and they're, you know, kind of getting the stuff out there. A lot of the game is, is pretty well polished. Um, so it's it's they're further along in this beta than they have been in any other beta release they've had to date, uh, which is kind of cool because it means they can actually work on balancing and content and, and get stuff out there. Um, well, there's a th- ton. There's a ton of stuff that, like, I was listening to you, you guys last week while I was editing, and I hadn't kept up with all of the news, but, like, a crapload of stuff that you're talking about. This is not just tweaking what's already there. There's oh, no. a crapload of balancing that they're going to have to do now. Well, especially adding another class that's capable of doing all three Everything, of the yeah. yeah, I mean the shot I mean the, the the monk has four distinct flavors actually. Um there's gonna be able to tank, they're gonna be able to heal, um, they're going to be able to DPS at range and DPS at melee. Really? Supposedly. So they're uh, basically gonna be like the druids. They're gonna be like druids in that regard. So it's it's something that we're looking forward to seeing, and it might happen, it might not happen. They might have to scrap some of that project based on you know whatever they're doing. We'll find out soon enough, I'm sure. Well, um, okay, hold on a second now though. This should already be in the game though. What do you? They like... can do. They do. They have ranged abilities. They have melee abilities. They have healing abilities that are based off of uh, um, how much damage you do. They have direct healing abilities. Right now, they have just about everything. So. so it would just be if they actually take anything out. But as yeah. it stands now, you're, as you're saying, er, that's all in there. From what I, from everything I've seen so far, okay, they are 100% everything in the kitchen sink right now. Awesome. Okay. All right. Sorry. Keep going. Oh, well, that's that's fine. Um, oh, dude, the- you'd you'd be happy to know that I was I was listening to you talking about WoW in the last one while I was editing, and it was like, oh, sounds like fun. <laughs> You were listening. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 a completely different game, and like they said that with Cataclysm, but it wasn't really the case. Like, sure, they they destroyed the world and rebuilt it, and you had a you know Deathwing came and and scarred the world, but it wasn't really a different game. It was still a game of waiting in cities for cues to pop, and you know nothing really much has changed. This is a complete overhaul, not just of like game mechanics across the board. Um, which is happening for healers, it's happening for tanks, it's happening for DPS, but it's a whole other world to discover, right? It's it's the back of a, not only just one turtle, but also an entire continent, an entire civilization. You're adding uh, a whole bunch of lore and strife and conflict, and they're doing such amazing things. Like they're really taking out, um, like they're going to be taking out Garrosh. I mean, they they even said they tipped their hat to that where they're going to say one of the raids is going to be dethroning Garrosh, essentially. I mean, that's kind of a huge thing to do. And it seems like more than Cataclysm, this is actually changing the world. And the fact that they're doing everything in, like, each co- each release, each content release is going to be its own expansion onto itself, essentially, inside of the game, it's kind of awesome. Cataclysm was world-changing, though. Like, I mean, the fact that Garrosh is there and Thrall is not in and of itself shows just that so but i i appreciate what you're saying though like it it will be absolutely amazing to have an actual raid through that and i think that it's 
it's about time that we see something like that. I think that the game at this point is far too old for us to finally be getting something of that caliber in it. Not to say I'm not glad it's not going to be there. I'm just saying I'm surprised it took them this long, put it that way. I am too, but I think also part of that it stems from I don't think they expected it to last this long in general. And that's always been sort of the general consensus is when they first started it, they expected it to be a two-year game. And then it started carrying on further and further and further. And it, I think it's far exceeded their even their expectations. And now you're starting to see sort of like they're putting things in there that we kind of would have expected to see a while ago. But even then, like, I'm kind of ecstatic about it. Well, at this point here, looking at what they've been saying, how they're they're already kind of talking about the fifth expansion and already have had six pitches for six, then, I mean, then they should be planning. They are obviously planning quite far in advance. So, Well, uh, I mean, if you look back at when the game first released, we found um, a leak, quote-unquote, of a whiteboard that had all of the expansions laid out from the beginning of the game till the proposed end of the world. And so far, we've gotten most of that list. I mean, it's not been exact. Like, originally, Worgen were going to wind up being a horde race, and pandas were going to be alliance only, But then things have definitely evolved. Um, but almost everything on that initial list, and I wish I could find it, um, has pretty much held true. And I have no doubt in my mind that they know exactly where the expansion is going to go for the next three expansions, or for the game is going to go for the next three expansions. At this point, it's just a matter of polish and putting it in the game. And see, that's where I'm saying then that we should have seen, um, we should have seen content that has this large a consequence earlier. Um, simply because when you're looking at, I mean, yeah, the game has a lot of minor quests and things that aren't as important but overall a lot of things have a huge importance in the game it's it's you get that epic feeling through a lot of the content that's in the game so in in that regard then you should have had things like what's going on with overthrowing rush see i was always a little disappointed that we didn't see enough based on that and 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 bane bloodhoof like there should have, in my opinion, been so, so much more in the game for that that was in in Cataclysm, not in the next one, should have been in Cataclysm. And it just was downplayed so much, I felt. Well, and I definitely I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, I think it definitely was downplayed a little bit, but at the same point, I don't know. Like the fact, even though the fact that they're putting it in the game now doesn't really bother me as much. It's just I'm happy that they're putting it. Oh, in definitely, the game. definitely, yeah. And part of it too is, is quite frankly, and and you're, I know you're the same way as me. It's the writer's imagination. Of I look at what's there, and then I look at what I've read in the books and all that. And my imagination takes off and thinking, oh my god, look at what they could do. This, this, and this. And then what they're doing is playing it much closer to the chess and not taking as many chances. And it's those chances that feel epic. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, and it's the the it's the risk reward theory, right? The bigger the risk, the better the reward, even for the players. It's always been that way, and with you know Star Wars not going anywhere, with Guild Wars two coming out, um, with Terra on the horizon, with all these other MMOs that are going to be sort of coming out now, they have to start really making those bigger gambles. So I'm okay with it because we're getting stuff, and even like things like people are complaining about the Farmville that's going to be coming in. I'm okay with it. It yeah. actually doesn't bother me at all because I'm a person that absolutely hates farming. I don't like going around the world and gathering my stuff. 
If I can have a farm that I can do it from, thank you. Well, I'm quite happy with that. Again, when I was listening to you guys talking about that, and then I was thinking about, well, the, the obvious Pokemon games and things like that too. The way that I look at that, and, and it's exactly what they've said as well too, it's just they're offering more ways for different types of players to be within the game. So if you're the kind that just wants to sit around and play Pokemon, you can play their game. If you are the kind that wants to do the hardcore stuff, then you can do it. They're not taken away from one to give to the other. So that's why I frankly don't have a problem with it at all at all. So like, dude, I seriously, the Pokemon stuff, I'd be all over that. Like freaking hobo on a ham sandwich. I want to do oh, it. Oh God, I'm actually really <laughs> excited about that. Do you see that they, they've started releasing screenshots of it too now? No, actually the only ones I'd seen were way back when they first announced um, it. Check, check WoW Insider. Uh, they actually have posts now where you can see uh, a pet battle in progress, kind of. <laughs> um, and they're already starting to, and Wild Pets is actually starting to uncover some of the wild pets that you can get. It's actually kind of cool. And you know what? Anybody who claims that they didn't play Pokemon or, or still don't play Pokemon, you're a liar. You know you want it. You know you love it. <laughs> All right. Was there anything else news that came out for that, uh, for Pandaria? Uh, that's about it, really. I mean, aside from the announcement that they're still planning for the uh, the expansions to come out, that's really all there is to it. Okay, let's move on to Baldur's Gate. Oh God, this one's awesome! All right, go we're talking we're talking about Baldur's Gate, the enhanced edition coming out uh, for PCs when it was the big big reveal. It's going to have new content on top of being converted into HD. Um, it's going to have a new party member, the whole nine. That's awesome. Well, it's also coming to the iPad, and that's just ridiculously cool. Um, using the new the new iPad as basically the basis, using that that processor, that RAM, everything else, Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition will be available this summer on iPad. You'll be able with all the enhanced content, all the new content as well. You'll be able to take your adventure in Baldur's Gate with you wherever you go. And for somebody like me who has a fresh new iPad, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I yeah, it's gonna look incredible, especially if they really push it for the three. I don't know if they'll push it for the Retina display, but can you imagine? Oh, oh yeah. It depends on how well they do the uh, the graphics, but I mean, I I'm fully well expecting that they're just going to do absolutely amazing with it. Vince, you're stuck. Your tablet won't run it. That's you, okay. You got a sucky tablet. I have a great tablet. <laughs> it sucks. You can't I'll tell even, you what. You can't I, even I use can your buy, stylus on everything. Come on, tell I me. I can it's buy critical. two of my tablets and tape them together and make one mega tablet for the same price of an iPad. It doesn't change the fact that mine's more awesome than yours. <laughs> Mine does absolutely everything I want it to. Pff, pff, I say. All right, let's talk about Kid Icarus. Joe. Kid Icarus. Okay, so we were talking about uh, Uprising, right? We are talking about how it's going to be a continuation of the second game. Well, people have actually gotten some hands-on time with it. And it's actually holding up really well to people that have gotten to, to critique it. Uh, it's the controls are sometimes the camera angles a little wonky, but the controls are pretty solid. Um, the gameplay is absolutely addicting and it just looks like it's a fantastic amount of fun. And just looking at some of the, uh, the screenshots, it's, I mean, it really looks like it's going to be the game. We wish we would have had as soon as the 3ds was released. Yeah. Really, what reviews have thing. you been reading? Every review I've looked at has said the controls are atrocious. Because the game is controlled using the circle pad on the left, the left trigger, and the stylus. So you have to balance your 3DS in one hand while maintaining it at that perfect angle to actually get the 3D effect. And the 
the touchscreen controls are not responsive enough. Um, take, from what I've take read, it with a gra- take it with a grain of salt. But I'm reading reviews from people that have actually uh, played a bunch of the Zelda games that require the same amount of coordination and enjoyed them. So, right, well, we're reading completely different reviews then, because Nintendo even acknowledges that the game controls like crap because it comes with a stand to set your 3DS in, <laughs> so you don't get a claw from holding the thing. And you know what? If I'm gonna play a game that requires me to sit at my table, I'll just get my freaking Virtual Boy out of the closet. Okay. <laughs> The fact that you still have one in the closet worries me. Okay. a lot of things in the closet. Yeah, really. <laughs> he was in it until last week. Let's talk about a game whose controls are going to be awesome this time around, though, and that's Borderlands 2. And how do we know that? Freaking Claptrap told us. <laughs> that's how. <laughs> I actually saw that letter. It was a couple of weeks ago that came out, but I only just got this from you last week. Um, but, yeah, that had been making the rounds before that. So Claptrap wrote a letter and saying that the controls and everything for the PC version this time around are actually going to be far, far better than they were for the first one. This actually, I, I mean, the freaking letter was just awesome in and of itself. Um, but the fact <laughs> that they're... You, baby? Yeah. <laughs> The fact that they are doing this, though, and really listen to um, to the, the fans and the problems that they had with the first one and are really working to fix the second one, oh, much love. Much love. Oh, absolutely. I'm very excited for it. I think it's going to be a win. Vince, you're going to yeah, be playing I've... on stupid freaking 360 anyway. Listen, I gave Borderlands <laughs> a shot on PC despite my, you know, elite per- personal preferences. They blew it. Sorry. Well, they, they, what they, no, they didn't. Did even then? Yeah, they did. Not everybody had a problem. I did not. Well, they blew it with me. Well, because you're an idiot. Okay, Silent Hill <laughs> HD, Vince. All right. They recently released a Silent Hill HD collection uh, containing uh, remastered versions of Silent Hill two and three, the last good ones, <laughs> at least that I played. Uh, coming out, it's available for Xbox 360 and PS3, which, in theory should be a great idea. These classic horror games, remastered, new graphics, more intense, except no. Because when Silent Hill first came out, obviously on the original PlayStation, not a whole lot of processing power. So that's why Silent Hill has that dense fog everywhere, because they just couldn't render anything that much farther away from the character. (laughs) But it led to the mood for the games. So they carried it through into the PS2 games, Silent Hill 2 and 3. And instead of it just being a programming crutch, it's something they actually utilize to level up the tension in the game. So I don't know who the hell at Konami was handling this thing. They remastered the graphics, and they got rid of all the fog because they didn't need it anymore. So the game looks like crap. You can actually see where they stopped rendering the game because they didn't they knew the player would never need to see these areas because of the fog. So now that the fog is gone, you can just literally see the edge of the world and it doesn't have that oppressive spooky feeling. Now you can see every single enemy coming at you from a mile away. It loses a lot of the just atmosphere that made Silent Hill what it is. Which is very sad, really. I mean, it, they had a golden opportunity to take a fantastic franchise, very addicting games, games that were absolutely amazing, and then just kind of ruin it. What the hell? And to make it even worse, the upgraded versions on these new top-end hardwares runs like shit. The frame rates are 
single digits in some points. The sound is jacked up. They have just completely murdered these classic games. So should we get on our knees and scream con at this one? No, we're going to start up a child's play drive to get them to change it. <laughs> yeah, it's not getting to that one. <laughs> like you need another excuse to bitch about something, Joe. It's my excuse for I'm... everything. I'm actually my, not bitching my answer. about it. I'm just sad. Like I can't even complain about it. I'm just sad. All right, you wanted to talk about Dust 514 as well. This I'm super excited about. Uh, if any, everybody who's been a fan of Eve, uh, however few you mean that you are, um, <laughs> uh, the Fan Fest was just out. And one of the things at Fan Fest was, uh, from CCP, was an opportunity to show off Dust 514. Not only does it show off their ground pounder marine combat, but it shows the interaction between Eve and Dust 514. So, yeah, the interaction is actually direct. There's going to be a market that affects both. Um, they're going to introduce a uh, the, the Plex system for uh, Dust 514 as well, so you can purchase uh, in-game currency to use for other stuff. You'll be able to trade between your character in space and your character on the ground. And you'll be able to call in orbital strikes if you need it. Freaking win. <laughs> Dude. And not only that, but they're actually going back and they're giving other ships capability to initiate planetary strikes instead of just dreadnoughts and battle cruisers. Uh, so people don't have to save up forever to be able to call on friends to come and do it. And that's awesome. Uh, they also have it where they showed players will be interacting both in 514 and EVE through the stations that are on each sector so that they can have the galactic markets that intersect each other and you know still go and take planets. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's exactly what I was expecting it to be, and, and I really can't wait to get my hands on it, hopefully for the PC, which is still not confirmed, but very much rumored, um, because it would just be absolutely phenomenal. Because I have a lot of friends that still play EVE. I'm kind of done with EVE, so to speak. I'm, I'm done with spreadsheets in space right now. But I would love to run Marines on the ground, taking a planet, and then selling it to other people at a higher profit. This was just so impressive to me. The, the way it seamlessly works between the various games was mind-blowing. They've put a lot of polish and time into this, and it's very impressive. Especially the, uh, the time delay between the orbital strike being uh, you know, initiated and showing up in Dust 514. Flawless. I think it's fairly impressive, even if it doesn't come to the PC, the fact that it is done so seamlessly between the PC and the PS3. Um, I mean, again, that shows that you can have these different... Um, it's not... Diff well, in this case, different games, but, you know, you can have th that interaction between the two done effectively and well and no you may not be able to do it where it's both the same exact game kind of thing but this kind of thing where it's an integration absolutely brilliant it's a beautiful proof of concept too and you hit the nail right on the head there it's proof that you can have a pc game that exists an entire universe that has been around for years and years and years and add to it on consoles without having to completely shatter your vision first of all redesign the entire game from scratch you can actually add to it through that means and dust 514 is that proof of concept and i mean as soon as pre-orders go up i'm honestly i'm gonna order one even if it's not for pc I have a PS3 sitting here. I will use it. I will play this game on Oh, there. it'll be great on the PS3. Yes, it would oh, be, be nice fantastic. to have it on PC as well, but it, it, this kind of game will work beautifully on a console. Oh, absolutely. I just 
really would prefer to play it with the mouse and keyboard, but still, that's just me. Yeah, no, no, I agree. The uh, but again, going back to being able to use the different uh, different platforms and whatnot, it's the same thing as with Mass Effect, with what we saw with the iOS gaming as well, and how hell even the data pad interacts with your playthrough for your combat readiness. So the fact that they kind of use that as well let's use another platform let's do something different but it all still works together if you want but i mean this is going far above that which is great i I, again, I just keep thinking that this is something that we should start seeing in more games more developers should be looking at this kind of model to group in as many different types of gamers not just relying on the same types and I think we're going to. I read a, I read a, a review um, due to my work that said that the average user household has at least 10 connected devices now. This includes game consoles, computers, smartphones, tablets, the whole nine. The average household has 10 connected devices. There is no reason developers should not be doing exactly what we're seeing done now in making multi-platform systems because it just makes sense. You know, you have that many connected devices in a home. You have that many devices connected to an internet. You're going through and doing your thing where, you know, you have like a cloud server or whatever. Now's the time to really start pushing that integration between them. Yep, definitely. And speaking of Mass Effect, (laughs) (laughs) let's segue into it. Now, (laughs) there's going to be a chapter skip here. And it's going to lead you to the feature at the end of the episode, which is going to be from Joe on Mass Effect. Um, it too will have some spoilers, but it's going to be on Javik and that whole DLC. So, and then after that, of course, just see how it takes. But, uh, but no, let's talk about some Mass Effect. There are going to definitely be some spoilers here. Lots of spoilers for folks. Lots and lots. It's and been lots. almost a month. I think we're okay. I think we're fine, and I'm giving plenty of warning. So, if you're in the live audience too and you don't want to hear what's going on, well, then now's your time to leave so all right we've all finished it i actually rushed through um parts just so that i am because i'm tired of everyone talking about it i had to (laughs) laugh at you last night where you're like okay i did the one ending now i'm going back to my save point to do the other (laughs) well yeah i wanted to see like i I wanted to say something but i was like no well see the thing is too that (coughs) pardon me the thing too is that i didn't mean to take the ending that i did (laughs) They, no. they, they, they pulled the switcheroo on you with the red and the blue. They did the same thing to me. It wasn't quite clear. Plus, my shepherd wasn't in the best of shape. I know he was staggering around. And I'm not in the best of shape. I haven't slept all month. And I'm medicated. So it's like I'm hobbling around. And then I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to take this option for this shepherd. And then... <clears throat> Pardon me, my female shepherd, my femme shep is going to take this other option. So I'm going. Hell, I didn't even know where I was going. I, I walked right up to the freaking beam. And I'm like, what? There's nothing here for me to do. I'm shooting the beam going, what the hell? And then I saw the platforms. I was like, oh, shit. So I turn my shepherd around and hobble. He, he moves as fast as I do. <laughs> All he's missing is a little cane. Never has Mass Effect it's been game more immersion. So, yeah. So then I went over and then... I'm looking at him thinking, well, that doesn't look like like the what I remember the kid was saying. And so I thought, oh, screw it. So I'm trying to shoot it, and it's not working. So I went, what the hell? So, okay, let's activate it. And then I was like, Woof, and I'm going, well, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. So and I finished that one, and then I was like, okay, well, now I want to see the other option. So 
I just loaded the other, <coughs> pardon me, the other save, and then I did it. And it's it's frustrating because you can only skip the part where he gets beamed up. And so it's like, ah, so I have to do everything, and he's moving so bloody slow. And then after I did that one, it was like, okay, well, I want to see about those renegade options with the elusive man. Because I want to see what happens if you don't choose it, what's going to happen. So I actually went through it, well, two and a half times. Because you you really do have to shoot the elusive man. If you don't, he shoots your ass. <laughs> and that's it. Game over. So, uh, but anyways... There's a crapload of shitstorm about the endings to this game. And I think that it's about time we discuss it now. Would kill detail without pussyfooting around. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, no, no. We <laughs> talk about the whole damn thing. What kills me is that, <coughs> pardon me, everybody's been talking about this. Now, as you guys talked about, which is exactly what I'd been talking to, especially Joe, when we talked about it too. I am of the opinion that far too many people, because the internet is full of followers, which is why memes do so good. Oh, where's that quote from Dan Slott earlier today? Oh, dude, that was so funny. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. But it's true that everybody is a follower, that all you need is a small group to say it sucked. And then from there, everybody wants to join on that bandwagon without having taken the time to actually think about whether or not that's how they feel. Now, justifiably, some people will play through it and think that sucked. And I have my own opinions. We're going to go through it as well. But... I'm of the opinion that far too many people, again, didn't take the time to think about it and just went based on what everybody else said. And the fact well, they were is, also expecting the ending where <clears throat> Shepard rides a rocket up into Harbinger. Oh, yeah. Pulls out no, his no, lightsaber. No, 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 no. Cuts a, through a the whole Tyrannosaurus <laughs> riding the rocket. Come on, man. Detonates a thermal bomb inside of him and then rides down while having sex with Tally. Dude, <laughs> that's I'm, what people. I nailed her again a couple of times. It was awesome. <laughs> Plus, you get to see Tally. There's your spoiler. Let's just start right now, dudes. You get to see Tally in a beautiful picture she leaves on your your nightstand. That was like I had a I had a checkmark list of things that I wanted to see in the final Mass Effect. Of course, I didn't have shoot the freaking Solarian in the back like some people, but I didn't. It wasn't on my checklist. It's just, it happened along the way. These things happen. No, they don't. No, they don't. For nobody else. There's metrics right now that they have to monitor who does what. Nobody else killed Morden. Nobody else did. So anyways. Bioware wants to know who the hell this guy is. Yeah, really. The universe versus God is shit. Call Vince. Call this Sam Odeon. All right. I, I was playing the game as if it was the last Starfighter. It was my audition. <laughs> there was no killing the freaking alien in the last Starfighter. No, but what if that is what the galaxy needs to be saved? Somebody has to make those difficult decisions. But and they I didn't. Will be that no. Man. You murdered an innocent Solarian, you bastard. That's who all right. was just out Tally, to save so. the freaking... Now, that I will... I can't forgive you for well, that Well, technically, either. I didn't kill her. I made her commit suicide. <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> God. I. You know That's what? Okay. It's, it's, it's funny. We were... <laughs> We were talking, Joe and I were talking about different parts in the game, and that, that moment with Morden. Now, again, for people, oh. if you haven't gotten there to that point, um, 
uh, Morden actually cures the genophage. And because there are fail-safes in play by the Solarian so that nobody can tamper with it, he has to be the one to go up this freaking huge tower to disperse the... whatever the hell pollen kind of shit that is into the air (laughs) to cure the genophage. And he's the only one that can get rid of those, pass those fail-safes and get through the firewall. Had to be him. Had to be Exactly. Exactly. It's the only choice. Somebody else will get it wrong. So he goes up and you know he's going to die. And it is it is an absolutely heroic moment. If you don't shoot him in the back. It is a heroic I moment. I saw the heroic moment my second time through. It was fantastic. <laughs> What's funny Sorry though. Sorry if I'm not a pansy. Yeah, Joe's the one that cried. That dude, I, I, dude, I freely admit, man, I teared up at that moment. I had to get up from my computer and walk away after that was all done. That was it was power. I loved Morden. Morden was one um, of the best characters ever made in this game series. Morden is the heart opinion. and soul of Mass Effect. <laughs> you know what though? I it's and funny. I saw his heart all <laughs> over the wall. Oh, dude! <laughs> too soon. Too soon. <laughs> the uh, the other one that I thought yeah, was sweet. just as heroic though was Thane's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. The stuff with with Thane, and that's one that my son was talking about as well too. That just blew him away. The stuff with Thane is just phenomenal. I actually romanced Thane with my uh, my femship in Mass Effect Two, so I'm looking forward to importing that play through to see how different it is, because I'm already seeing how things are so different with your companions based on the relationships you had oh, God, with yes. them in two and one. So. You see the thing that I sent you earlier? Yeah. So as much as I loved what I had with my my male shepherd with with Thane and the whole scene with his son where he's reading from that that, the the Bible esque whatever that is. And and it's like, yeah, you're like, holy crap. And the fact that he went out of his way, even though he's dying to take out this this assassin and everything. It was like, and that little telemetry. They're assassin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that. But But you want to talk about differences. You should try seeing that entire segment of the game without Thane at all. Yeah. I don't have Thane in mind. So what happens then? Kirihi steps in and takes the blade for the, the, uh, the Uh, counselor. And if they're both dead, the counselor gets killed. Yep. And you never get Solarian support in the game. See, I, that's actually uh, the playthrough I'm on right now where I don't have either of them. And the Solarian just got murdered on this playthrough. It's and yeah, like it was just I'm sitting there. I'm like, huh, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> see, the, people can bitch as <laughs> much as they want. you don't see w- the repercussions of your choices in this game. <laughs> yeah, really? No, clearly not. Clearly none of your choices matter. I, There's no closure at all. People can bitch as much as they want about the ending. The fact that. People can experience so many different things in this game is mind-numbing. Like, again, my son came to me at one point. Does your have bird parts? Yeah. Oh, dude, I laughed <laughs> so freaking hard at that. Oh, if you haven't watched it, go watch the, I don't know which episode it is, but there's a Penny Arcade, the PATV that they do where they talk about one of the strips where they talk about all the different choices. Oh yeah, freaking hysterical. Um, But anyways, like I was talking to my son, and my son's playthrough. Excuse me, Eve dies from the stress, Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, shit. In mine, mine, she keeps that in one of them. Rex in check. 
Because otherwise, he wants to destroy the galaxy and everybody. In it. He's worse than the freaking Reapers. And she keeps him in check. And he's going, no, Almost she died. Almost as bad as my shepherd. Yeah, really. And I'm going, holy <laughs> crap. Which is interesting in mind because she dies in mine. But Shepard goes up to Rex and says, you know what? I know what you want to do. If you do it, I will put a bullet through your head myself. <laughs> and he's like, kind of walks off. Like He literally, like the pe- I took the renegade option because he was getting mm. all like, Oh, I'm going to destroy the universe. Blah, 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 blah. There'll be a reckoning. Blah, blah, blah. And he just goes, I could kill you right now. That and is that awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. All right. <laughs> so did you, did you actually cure the genophage, though? I did. Yes. 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 Ah, you plus. Dude. I'm... So, so, so you don't get the confrontation later on where no. Rex finds out that you didn't cure the genophage. Nope. I don't want to fight a Krogan. I have enough shit on my plate. <laughs> Dude, you want to fight an angry Krogan? That's great. I have enough shit between the Reapers and dealing with, you know, fucking Listen, E, I'm whatever. I'm Commander fucking Shepard, and this is my favorite corpse on the Citadel. Yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. All right. Jesus. So I actually romanced Tally, like I said. I actually, in, in two... I stayed faithful to her, too. I didn't mess around with the other ones. I kind of flirted a little bit too much with Jack, but then stopped before Tally would get mad at me. <laughs> and so when I was in in two, like, again, you're talking about the moments that, that teared you up there. When, when you're at the end and you're on Earth and you take the moment to go talk to your crew one at a time, or in Vince's case, go stare at you that know, the empty space. That was a very short conversation. Yeah, really, no where they should that, be. That was actually really cool, though. I had... I'm going through that ending segment, and I was like, man, why the hell do they have me walking through this empty-ass city? And then it occurred to me, and I was like, oh. There's people all along there. I talked to <laughs> every one the, of them. This is the result of my choices throughout the game. Because <laughs> when I, I actually saved they don't matter. everybody in two, nobody died. And so going into three, I got everybody. And then, of course, they're dying off freaking morden's gone miranda's dead freaking thane's dead and so um but when you go up the wall there you're going through the 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 rubble and everything you talk to everybody when i got to tally dude oh my god talk to tally now i had just done i'm glad i didn't skip everything to hurry through um I'd done the stuff where I was fighting with the Geth and everything, and we're on the Quarian homeworld. And then when you nail, when you get rid of all the Geth and all that, you sit down with Tally, and you're looking at the the planet, and she's actually doing the frame with her fingers and looking at it and saying, this is where the window will be for my house kind of thing. Um, and then you sit down, and then she's saying, but my, my place is on the Normandy with you kind of thing. And, and it's just a fantastic moment with her. And, I mean, you look at what just happened, because he had to fight that freaking Harbinger dude, um, mm-hmm. which is freaking tough, man. Yes, Harbinger is a tough <laughs> Oh, that was hard. Which is- reasonably expected oh yeah freaking harbinger yeah it, it took a lot of lives um but anyways the um it was it was really touching moment with her kind of thing but then at the end she makes reference to that again and she's saying there's just not enough time i wish we had more time and all that and dude i teared up i actually shed a tear in a game now like i was telling vince dude, heavily medicated haven't slept since the beginning of this month excuses so there, yeah i'm gonna use a few excuses but still it was that well done and that touching that moment and so it was like holy crap that was great the but, romance i'm sorry go ahead no no i was gonna say who did you guys joe, joe you already told me you kind of bounced this, around a little this one was awesome okay because in, in mass effect when i romanced ashley 
And in Mass Effect 2, Ashley punked me off on Horizon, so I was like, fine, screw you. I'm going to go tap the, you know, the, the Australian supermodel. So I go and I, I wind up hitting on Miranda, and I wind up getting Miranda. And going into 3, I finally got my saves to load into 3 on this playthrough, which makes me very, very happy. Um, but one of the coolest things is, at the beginning of the game, Ashley gets her head basically busted open by, uh, you know, the, yeah, the, the robot. future ED body. Yeah. And Please, you go to visit... Dude. I did this twice. When you go to visit her, you uh, she's in the hospital, and you can do you can bring her flowers and chocolate, which was a good thing I did, um, because she started harassing me about shacking up with Miranda in the second game. She's like, I heard about you and Miranda Lawson. Does it ring a bell? And so they get this like this huge bicker between the two, and it's like, and he and Shepard's like. You left me, bitch. You're the one that walked away from me on Horizon and left me to die. Are you going to get mad at me because I moved on because you would have nothing to do with me? You're the one that abandoned me. What the hell did you expect me to do? And she's like, well, you're supposed to chase after me. He's like, no, I had enough to deal with. I didn't have to deal with your shit. And like, it's just kind of this funny banter. But then you get to Miranda, and Miranda makes an offhand comment about, so I heard you started things back up with Ashley. I guess we're done, huh? And it's like just like the play back and forth. It's like, wow, that's awesome decisions i made in two really matter here but it was actually really great and i will say that the two best romantic scenes in the game in my opinion at the end were tolly and ashley i mean between the two of them they give like the best it was you know heartwarming and wrenching it was the you know ashley's given this big thing at the end where like you wake up in, in bed with her and it's like the final day and she's like you know I can't see myself with anywhere else but you, no matter what we've been through. You know? Really? Because she's shacking yeah, up with Vega and mine. <laughs> Which is that's awesome. That's in my playthrough, Sorry, Vega is bragging about how much. <laughs> in my playthrough, you talk to Vega and he's cooking up some eggs <laughs> and talking about shacking up with, Dude, with my, Ashley. In my playthrough, Vega's tapping the, the reporter. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh, see, I didn't bring the reporter on my ship. I totally brought the reporter on it because I'm romancing Ashley. The reporter made a made a move at me, and I was like, "No, nah, I just, yeah, I got nothing to do with you. Just, just leave me alone. You look really frumpy in that dress." And then I hear Vega later. Take he's like, "Weird, yeah. squashed face out of my cabin." Like Vega's all happy. He nailed it. I mean, I guess that fits. I mean, it's a stereotypical Hispanic male. He's like, "Yeah, I got laid. Sweet, let's talk about it." You know? Oh yeah, he he had plenty to say about Ashley. She, she she really opens up. How about my <laughs> epic tale of rejection? My my yeah. my decade-spanning tale of rejection on my renegade shepherd. First Mass Effect, I was like, okay, I'm gonna take a shot at Ashley. Well, made one too many offhanded comments, and she wasn't interested. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, no problem. So Mass Effect Two comes around. I was like, all right, Miranda, this is happening. Made a wrong choice again. <laughs> Nothing. All right, okay, I got this shit. I'm going to actually be nice to one of the females on the Normandy in this game. Com chick, Samantha Trainer, done. Get her into the room. She's a lesbian. Ain't gonna happen, yep. <laughs> Too bad. See, <laughs> you should have tried with Kelly Chambers in two. <laughs> I killed shit. her. She was dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a surprise. <laughs> Actually, Chambers was cool in this because if you yeah. did save her, she had a couple of little bits that were interesting if you met her in the commons area. And then if you listened later to find out what happened again, freaking awesome stuff. 
And see, with Miranda, Malagash was asking about Miranda. My Miranda dies because when you go to help her because her sister was abducted by her father and you find out that he's got this place, Sanctuary, where they are actually experimenting on turning people into reaper husks. And so when you go there to help, Miranda's already there, and then the uh, Lang is there as well. So he and she fight, and she's near death, though she really doesn't look it. And um, and then the father is holding the daughter hostage with a gun in his hand. And once you get there, your renegade option that pops up real fast is to shoot her in the leg. The old shoot the hostage in the leg. She falls, and then Miranda throws one last massive biotic ball of fury at the father who goes flying through the window. Excuse me, and then she dies. Now, what's really cool about this, <laughs> because it's cool, is once you get back to your ship. Now, I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but my, again, I romance Tally, and I took Tally with me everywhere for the most part. It was Tally and Javik. And so Tally was there and saw this. So when you get back on the ship, again, the comms chick says Tally's having a hard time with Miranda dying. So. You may want to check with her. She's in the lounge. So you go to the <laughs> to the lounge and Tally's sitting at the bar drinking whiskey through a straw. <laughs> and it is among some of the best dialogue in the game. It's fantastic. It's not a cinematic. You can walk around, but you just keep activating her. And then she keeps talking about her drink. And it's not actually a straw. It's a, I can't remember what she calls it. <laughs> but it's absolutely hysterical because she's plastered. <laughs> And you're trying to hold a conversation with her. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, so let's talk then about the ending then. Let's move on right to that. There's a lot of talk about this. And again, before we even talk about, you know, whether you like it or not, I think that one of the things right off the bat that Bioware should be commended for, regardless of what you, regardless of if it was an accident, even, um, is the fact that the ending required thought. Yeah. How many games do we play where you finish the game and the the ending can be phenomenal and can be something that you really enjoyed? It can be terrible, but it can also be epic, beautiful, fantastic. But how many endings occur that actually requires you to sit back and think about how you should feel about it? Because again, and I think that's important, I think that knee-jerk reaction of, I hate it, is not good. I think that you need to stop and actually think about what just happened. How many games have required you to go and read friggin' essays about the ending <laughs> to try to determine what exactly happened? Now, good or bad, here's a game that made us really have to think about what happened and try to decide what it is that we believe, whether it's complete and utter ineptitude on the part of the writers, or something much greater. And I feel that there's, in my opinion, in my opinion, very little in between. I don't think that there, I don't think that you could have that they meant a lot of this, but that some of the rest was just very poorly written. I think it's either one or the other. Either they were completely inept, or they planned quite a bit further ahead. There could still be mistakes, but mistakes in execution not lackluster writing you know what i mean mm -hmm. so I so okay let's start with you vince 
how did you actually feel about the ending? And go ahead and talk about what happened. I'll let you do it. Well, at first, uh, I played through, and, you know, being pure Renegade Shepherd, I went with the control option. I wanted to take control of the Reapers. Okay, because... ex- explain what happens, though. If you don't, I will. Okay. Uh, start from the you get to Earth and you're working towards where you need to go up to the Citadel. Okay, yeah. The whole plan is to take this beam that the Reapers are using to bring human captives up to the Citadel. Basically, they're recreating the process that was happening on the Collector Space of building the human Reaper. So the plan, once they realize that the Crucible, the catalyst that you've been looking for this whole time, actually is the Citadel, they need to get somebody onto the Citadel to open it up so that they can bring in the Crucible. So the entire mission is built around getting to this beam and getting a team or hell any warm body possible up into the citadel to open it up and you know save the day because everybody well, knows what button to press yes, to open the citadel worked. there's yeah well yeah it's a giant red button on the side of the wall come on guys jeez <laughs> it's like the ed- exit signs that flash <laughs> yeah. well things don't quite go as planned harbinger comes in and just decimates the entire fucking force. Shepard, Anderson, you name it, they're all toasted. Uh, we get, you know, your, I don't want to say cliched, but your typical oh, no, there's lots of that. Oh, action yeah. movie <laughs> scene of the hero stumbling up and survived the mortal blast and slowly stumbles his way to the Citadel. <laughs> Takes down the last boss, Marauder Shields. And makes his way up into the Citadel, along with Anderson. And once you both reach the control room, the Elusive Man is also there. And you get this really tense standoff where the Elusive Man at this point is fully indoctrinated, completely off his nut. Is actually able to take control of Shepard's body and hold Anderson at gunpoint. Because the Elusive Man, throughout the entire game has wanted to take control of the Reapers. He hasn't wanted to destroy them. He didn't even want to work with them. He has wanted to control them, and he believes that is the only way to galactic peace. This amazing standoff, which, as you showed, Roger, can end several different ways. You can actually even get the elusive man to kill himself, a la Saren from uh, the first Mass Effect. And then things get a little weird. (laughs) A little. (laughs) (laughs) Shepard stumbles towards the button, pulls a Morden, falls over short, And the god platform raises him up. (laughs) And here is where you meet the, quote, star child. Uh, God child. Yeah. When I first played the game, I wrapped my head around this in a completely different way than I do now, which we'll get into later, where I was just taking it on the surface level. I was accepting what the god child was feeding me as the information of I kind of interpreted it as he was the last vestige of the original organic race that created the Reapers. And he designed the the Crucible as the last ditch effort to get rid of the Reapers. Knowing his civilization was going to be destroyed, this was his last shot and hoping that thousands and thousands of, you know, years down the line, dozens of cycles, another species would finally be able to complete it and defeat the Reapers. That's how I took it. Now Granted, there's 
that's a lot of conjecture on my part because he was purposefully vague in a lot of his statements. So I chose you presented. I was at least presented with two options to destroy the Reapers, which is what Anderson wanted, and to control the Reapers, which is what the elusive man wanted. There's actually also a third choice if you complete a specific set of previous plot points that allows you to perform synthesis and merge the organics and the synthetics together for everlasting mm-hmm. peace and harmony. Well, I didn't have that option available because, first of all, it requires you to make peace between the Geth and the Corians, and one of them is now extinct, so sorry, guys. So I chose the control option. Uh, Shepard reaches in. He gets vaporized, and then you get the explosions that are happening. Uh, There wasn't a whole lot of Earth left standing after mine because my galactic readiness was not very high. Uh, You get... The mass relays exploding with the same force to spread the control around the galaxy. Again, lots of conjecture here. And it all ends up with Joker and an assortment of your teammates on Terra Nova, let's just say. (laughs) So, again, I, I fully admit there was a lot of narrative issues there, but... It was okay for me. Like I wasn't like, oh my god, greatest ending ever. But I still kept thinking about it for days afterwards, trying to piece together everything that was told to me into a cohesive storyline. And at least for me, I was able to piece something together until I had my mind blown a couple days later. <laughs> and that's once you started reading more about the indoctrination. Yes. Okay, before we get to that, Joe, anything different on your end? Um, I got the synthesis ending on my first playthrough. Okay. So I actually managed to uh, create synthesis and get all the way through. Um, I actually wrote a pretty extensive post on, about this at Way of the Totem, um, just because I've been turning it into my personal you know, soapbox lately. And uh, each ending is subtly different. And for what, what I got out of it is, looking at each ending, it's not just the immediate ending that you have to worry about. It's what those repercussions mean for the rest of the universe. Whether taking control means that you are permanently going to have control or if you're going to have a Lich King-esque moment where you may lose control and the Reapers come back full force. Um, eradicating all synthetic life. Well, synthetic life was created by the organic life to begin with. And that's what started the whole Reaper problem in the first place. And then synthesis. You don't know what the repercussions are going to be uh, down the line now that you've blended all synthetic and organic life together. And it's a, sort of like, for me, it was the ending was trying to piece out my choices and how they're going to affect the rest of the universe in the years to come because the universe is not done by any sense of the word and looking at it that way yeah i mean it's one of those things where it's like i want to know how this is going to have an impact later on you know you have races stuck in space that can't support them you have people scattered throughout the entire known universe you there's so many things like there's still survivors scattered all over the place and you have to completely rebuild your entire galactic civilization not just well not just yours but everybody else's and you have all sorts of new tensions you have all sorts of new political plays going on you have all new adventure waiting to happen and it was just for me i really enjoyed the endings not for what they were but for the possibilities that they presented and i think that was what the big thing was for me is the the potential that each has to have that long-lasting sort of effect on the universe. Not to mention, I give them a little credit for what they had to work with because you're looking at a way where you had to end the story a certain way. 
you had to find a way to end Shepard's story. And there are only so way, many ways you can do that, especially with a group of people that are so used to being able to pick their ending however they want to at that point. And so they had to sort of wrestle control away from the players a little bit to get to that point. Some of it causes narrative issues, yes. But for what it was and for what it accomplished, I'm okay with it. I kind of disagree with you a little bit in terms of their limitations with with killing off Shepard kind of thing or, or ending his story. I, I disagree simply because... I don't think the problem that a lot of people had with Shepard's tale ending was so much that it was ending so much as that the manner in which it was ending was taken to I, such an unbelievable a level. You know what I mean? I disagree a little bit there because a lot of it, a lot of the initial outrage was Shepard dying. It wasn't, it was in every three, all three endings, he dies, blah, blah, blah. And that was a lot of the outrage, and that's been a lot of the continued outrage. And I think that was part of the bigger problem is how do you end Shepard's story without making it in a way where people just sit there and bitch and moan that they're not playing Shepard in the next game? Well, okay, for me, that definitely wasn't it. I went into this knowing Shepard was going Mm -hmm. to die, and I was all right Mm -hmm. with that. Now, that said, there is a playthrough where he survives, where he actually wakes up in the rubble. Um, He doesn't wake up, you see him take a breath. Well, well, it's as close to surviving as he will get yeah, at this point. Yeah. But again, see, and that's where, especially that one, where you kind of start to see either plot holes or the man behind the curtain. So, and that's where, again, I had some problems, some issues with what was happening. And see, I did the two playthroughs with the control and the other one. And quite frankly, between those two, there are no differences. The only differences in the end is the the harbingers either take off or they fall down. That's the only different. Freaking jokers, the, the the Normandy still get swallowed up and tossed down on that planet, and the same people come out who shouldn't be on the ship, and things like that. The it's it's the exact same ending. That's what I got. Um, and then I played through again with the different dialogue options and things like that going up and talking to the elusive man. But it's once you see the option of um, where he takes that breath back on Earth amongst rubble as well. And that's a big one because... Concrete. Concrete. He wasn't... Mm -hmm. He was on the Citadel. The Citadel freaking blew up. We saw it blew up. He could not have survived going from the Citadel back down to not even Earth. there's shepherd can can yeah, really. well there was a did you see the latest theory on that one too no what if you're talking about the 4chan thing just stop no no no, no. The, the theory is that like he's back on earth taking a breath because he was more synthetic than we realized and was able to survive the uh the re-entry so to speak i think it's stupid but people survive. are really latching onto it well it's survive re-entry because... Especially because yeah. the only time you see him take the breath is if you choose the destroy ending, which means yep. all his synthetics are gone. Exactly. So that theory is completely debunked. Yeah. So but people are really latching onto it like crazy. See, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I didn't like the ending. However, my initial reaction was skepticism about a lot of stuff because it 
does point to bad writing and bad decisions. There are far too many things that are that that you can point to and say that that does not make sense. That is stupid. And and far more than that, and this is something that I, I think about all too often with different games and comic books and things like that, it's lazy writing as well. Instead of taking the time to lay something out properly, you're taking a shortcut. And we see a lot of that, especially when he is in the uh, the room with the child. Before that, in the room with the elusive man mm-hmm. and Anderson, you can rationalize that. You can you can rationalize it as per part of a let's just say quote unquote realistic playthrough where it's actually happening. Which, if you've gone that far to believe this is actually happening, you have accepted bad writing. For him to get there because there's all of the stuff with everybody's dead. All of a sudden, not just only he's alive, but also A, the Harbinger's gone. B, Anderson made it there before him. I I, I can see them overlooking a couple troops scattered around the battlefield. I think they would notice Shepard and Anderson. The two main guys, oh, they made it. They're in there. So there's already huge plot problems there if you are accepting the realistic way that they're it's presented initially to you kind of thing so and then when you go up there again the conversation with um with elusive man to a certain degree you can swallow it even with bad writing the the fact that he can control them all of a sudden doesn't make sense but okay let's just play well, around with they, that. they kind of planted the seed to that earlier when they were talking about how when during project lazarus Miranda wanted to implant a control ship into Shepard, and the elusive man said no. So, but they also planted the seed of, well, what if the elusive man did it anyway? So th- there is a, a bit of, you know, plot to that. But that doesn't explain Anderson either. No, so, I'm just saying there, there, there's there's a bit there. There, uh, and that's where I come <laughs> back to. You know, this could be just mm-hmm. bad writing, and then when you go up well a that makes no sense and then b the fact that this whatever he's supposed to be if you don't accept him as reaper kind of thing um the the whole conversation with him is riddled with plot holes and lazy writing in terms of you're the one that's going to have to make this choice now give me a fucking break all this has been happening and yet the force that controls it all is going to let you who have been fighting against it make the choice of what you're going to do so there's a whole bunch of stuff that just doesn't work it just point blank does it on the surface in my opinion then if you start to think in terms of the indoctrination theory and that slowly Shepard had been indoctrinated. If you start to think of it in that way, and and I mean, you really got to roll think with it. You, it. you can't just <laughs> kind of go with it a little bit. He wasn't just a little indoctrinated. This has got to be huge. You are reading so much between All the, the way lines down here. The hole. Yeah, that this is not, none of this was in there. You are making it up 
in order to lay credence to this theory because to the point and i'm not saying it doesn't make sense the whole thing of he was indoctrinated but left to be just enough himself that the galaxy would follow him and then he would lead all of them to their slaughter on earth again when you looking at that you're going well that makes sense but that's giving bioware a lot of credit a (laughs) lot of credit and then again when i when i first heard about the indoctrination theory i was like okay it's another option people are coming up with to make sense out of this plot but the more i read about it and saw about it the more I bought into it to the point where I am fully pro indoctrination at this point, because there are certain things that just completely don't make sense. sense. Like the one that really got me, was like, wait a second was when they showed that when Shepard gets up after Harbinger's beam, you see the plant life and the forest from his dreams surrounding you. Yeah. That's where I first started going, wait, there might be something definitely to look at here. Oh yeah, and again, it again, it's either very bad writing or this is what it's supposed to be. Now that being said, even if it is full on indoctrination, there's still some problems. There's still some problems that are not just problems that are going to be resolved in DLC, but some of it is bad writing. Not necessarily lazy writing, but still bad writing kind of thing. But you almost have to go with this theory. And there are a lot of things that allow you to believe it a little bit more. And of course, the big one is that boy. Because before I even knew about the indoctrination theory, the very first thing that struck me was, A, this boy playing with this miniature Normandy, A, and also playing by himself on the Citadel in that little patch of grass there. And then later on, and this struck me even more is the boy who is getting on the ship. Nobody sees him and nobody helps. Mm -hmm. That was a big one for me. Of course I have kids. At at the time I was able to kind of pass it off though. Like I didn't think about it too much. I did. And I, what, what I thought was, okay, well that's bad writing. You got, Tons of soldiers all over the place, let alone mm-hmm. other people. Somebody would be helping that child, especially when he's especially climbing the guy into standing the ship. right next yeah. to him. <laughs> so the fact that they don't quote unquote see the child, big one right there. And then when you follow through with the other things with the child, that's like, okay, there's more going on here than just bad writing. So there were enough little things like that for me that it, it was I, I can I can accept this more. The problem is for me again that and and I understand that and I, it's one of the links that you put there where the guy wrote the freaking essay on it. Mm-hmm. You are mm-hmm. playing as Shepard, so you are only experiencing what Shepard sees. Yeah. So you don't know that you're indoctrinated. Okay, I can buy that. That said. I think that there was still more foreshadowing needed. Not enough that anybody could figure it out. No. Make it as subtle as you can and weird off the wall. But enough that in looking back Mm -hmm. afterwards, you're like, that makes sense now. That makes sense. None of it would have clued you into what was happening. But in retrospect, you'd be like, 
okay, this is in fact what happened. I think that the story needed more of that. And the fact that not enough is in for that is what then lets me feel that it might very well just be bad writing, bad lazy writing. Like I said, at this point, I am fully pro-indoctrination. Like, it's, I can't see any other way at this point other than bad, like, not bad, like, really bad writing. So, and uh, what else did we hear when they were talking about the ending to the, um, okay, we covered the two different endings. The, yeah, the, the one where he's back on Earth as well. That's the, um, see, when I did mine, there's the one where he puts his hands on and that shows him being fully indoctrinated at that point because he's decided mm-hmm. to control one. And then the other one is where he chooses not to be indoctrinated. And again, that's for people who, don't know then you are again this was all in your head you're still on the freaking ground yeah you got sliced up you are not going up in the citadel you're on the ground and this is all going on in your head see that's the other point where i have a little bit of a hard time because again let's just say that he is indoctrinated okay he's on the ground This is all going on in his head. How did he become so powerful in his indoctrination that from the ground, if he chooses not to be indoctrinated, he can destroy all the Reapers? It didn't. But it did if he chooses not to. No. The only part of that ending that actually happened was him waking up. Not in mine. In my choice, when he shot the thing... Oh, you still see it, but... Personally, I'd say that still occurs in his head. Okay. Yeah, okay, that would make sense as well. Because and the, 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 the only part of shit... the ending that is actually real is his breath. Yep. See, I didn't, get, that, I didn't get a breath myself. I, I yeah. had a playthrough. So the... The, the, the only way to get the breath is to A, choose to destroy, and B, have your effective military Readiness. whatever. Yeah, mine at was... over 5,000. Which, which is a lot. Which mine was not, no. So, but again, yeah, because the thing with the, the Normandy as well, crash landing with Joker getting out, that happened for both, which is complete and utter stupidity. But again, that could be part of that. That could be Shepard wishing his friends, friends were well, safe. You know what I mean? Or it can just be that bad writing that they need to yeah. put a heroic moment kind of thing and show that the Like survive. somebody said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if the Normandy was running away from the explosion? Like, yeah, let's do that. Exactly. And and that can happen. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not transparent enough that it can point to either way. So, very interesting. The one thing that I think we could probably all agree on, though, freaking voice acting at the very end with old grandpa and the kid, worst voice acting in the game. Dude, it Absolutely was ex- terrible. It was extra fucking creepy terrible that and i watched it both times and i'm like this is crap this is absolutely terrible a most cliched pile of shit there is but not just that the freaking voice acting was terrible so that's it so those are you gotta pass because it was buzz aldrin it was buzz aldrin but he was extra fucking creepy it was well, bad. Buzz Aldrin's a creepy guy. What do you want me to yeah, say? Really. <laughs> he's very creepy. Very, very creepy. But um, I have to ask real quick. Vince, did you download the final hours yet? Yes, I did. Okay. I've actually read through the entire thing. Okay, because I got it on my iPad too, and I just I read through the whole thing as it, well. It gives you some very interesting insights. Very, very interesting insights, especially when you combine it with the letter from uh, Ray Muzi- Muzika. Mm-hmm. 
and you you look at how he's responding to the fan outrage and take a look at that i i honestly do not believe that this was bad writing i believe this was all planned and i believe that they knew that the outrage was going to happen at least a little bit to this point and i think they they banked on it I I don't think they could have expected to this point. I don't not, think so. Not so. to this not point. to this point. No. no, because I mean, you still want the the, the purpose of the, your game is to still make your people happy when they end the game. You might be mad about what occurs, but you're still happy about the experience as a whole. And right now, know, most people are not. All I know is I want that final hours DLC now, and that's what I want. See, I. And, uh, I'm sorry that I, ha- I mean, I'm mad that I have to, that I feel that I have to have it, but I have to have it. And see, part of that is a problem too. Here we are yes. once again, where to get an ending to a game, you're having to buy a DLC. And that's a, that, that really pisses me off. At, at this point, because the feedback was so much more than Bioware was expecting, at least in my opinion, they have to release it for free at this point. But and even I then, really hope let's, they do. Let, let's assume that this is that this was completely planned from the beginning. Indoctrination theory, DLC, the whole thing. Let's assume this was planned from the beginning. Do you really think half of these people who are shouting from the rooftops are going to believe it was planned from the beginning when the DLC no. comes out? Of course not. not at all. Of course not. They're going to believe that they were the special snowflake. And they got the voice and they got their way. That's exactly what they're going to do. I, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna say, and and I made my point at the beginning. I do think again, most of the internet are followers, but not all are. And I am, see again, I am still not convinced. I would like to be, but I'm not. So I'm not a special snowflake. I, I, and I don't think I, I'm not sold. I, because even if it was all indoctrination and it was planned from the get go, even at that. It was poorly executed at the end, and there is still a lot of bad writing at the end. Even well, taken into consideration, full-on indoctrination. Roll with it entirely. That one, I still I'm, think that it was... I still think there are way too many flaws in the writing and execution at the end. I think the ending, for me at least, makes me think somewhat that the game might have been pushed out before it was fully done because the ending definitely seemed to lack a certain amount of polish that we've been used to in a lot of Bioware games. And that concerned me when I got there. Like I said, I don't mind the ending, but it didn't have... It it felt like almost like a proto-ending. Like it was one that they were, you know, had pitched and built almost completely and were missing a couple, couple key pieces. Like a couple things were just missing from it to make them... A solid ending and to execute it properly. So I'm I'm almost I'm almost curious to see if it was just pushed out ahead of timetable as well. See, I don't think it's just that. I, I agree that that's that's probably part of it, but I think that a large part of it too was again, I go back to bad writing. Because cliched ideas were taken and ran with. Like freaking Forrest Gump running out of the stadium. And I think that that creates then a very bad sequence of events. And when you're looking at an ending to an epic trilogy, you can't have that. So had they gone with indoctrination, let's just say, okay, there were so many better ways that they could have ended the game with that full-on indoctrination. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about having to hit the player over the head with a sign that says, you've been indoctrinated, bitch. 
I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Although it might but have been necessary. I, it might have been, but I'm not saying that. I like that they made me think, but I'm just saying that it it should have been handled way, way better. Flip side of that, it's not indoctrination. It was full of so much crap and stupidity and plot holes that it was thankfully the rest of the game made up for it. I'm still happy with yeah. the third as an ending to the trilogy, still way happy with it. But those huge plot holes and letdowns make it so that if it wasn't indoctrination, wow, that was weak. Really, really, really poor writing. And that's what it all comes down to for me. Even if plot holes and bad writing, even with all that, it in no way diminished my enjoyment for the game or for the series. Well, I'm looking forward to importing my my Femme Shep. Like I said, like I said last week, yeah. I hated the ending so much, I started a new character five minutes later. Yeah. Yep. So the, the game as a whole still holds up. The game as a whole... It's funny, though, I'm still not convinced this early that it is Game of the Year as opposed to Mass Effect 2, which was a a done deal Mm -hmm. right from the get-go. This is not, but it's definitely in the running for it. So I'm I'm very interested to see now when I'm playing my next playthrough that I'm not going to rush at all. I'm going to do as much of everything as I can. So I'm looking forward to that because I did miss out on a lot of things just so that I could finish it so that we could talk about it. Okay, anything else before we let go? That's it for me. All right. Yeah, so just recommending that final hours app. I you know what yes, I three have bucks. N- I'm gonna pick it up now that I've finished the game. I will pick it up and do a little bit more reading on yeah, it. Yeah, that if you have finished the game, yeah. that is big. Definitely. Okay, so for everybody who joined us, I'd like to thank you for for bearing with us and I just put this chapter header there so now you're back Um, and don't forget we've got a fantastic feature from Joe where he's going to be talking about all of this stuff with Javik the DLC for Mass Effect 3 I personally absolutely adored the Javik stuff and I, I think that it's mandatory in fact because I kept him out all the time and there were so many scenes that had him taking an active role in it and you got so much more lore, history, and everything because of it. I think that it was, it, I, again, I think that it's mandatory to to buy this DLC if you don't have it. And, oh, the uh, interaction between him and Vega alone was worth the money. Oh, interactions between <laughs> him and everybody were fantastic. Because he's not always a nice person. Nope. <laughs> and, oh, the Asari have learned how to write. Yeah. I, I, He was... Oh, dude. There's, there's, People started making comic strips of just troll Javik. It is hilarious. Yeah. So definitely make sure to listen to that. And with that, I'm going to let you go. Of course, the show notes will be up on For The Lore. You can find us at ForTheLore.com and on Twitter at ForTheLore. And any questions, comments, or whatever, send them to ForTheLore at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you guys next week. The From Ashes DLC for Mass Effect 3 has been the subject of much debate. People have claimed that it's been a money grab, people have claimed that it's absolutely necessary to enjoy the game, some people love it, some people hate it, no matter what your walk of life is, most people have an opinion on it. Well, the From Ashes DLC is not necessary to complete and enjoy the game. It is, however, a fantastic way to add to your enjoyment. Shepard gets word that there's been a discovery on Eden Prime. There's something that has been found by Cerberus and has been trying to be uncovered. 
it happens to be a lost Prothean relic. When arriving on Eden Prime, you find that it, instead of being an actual relic, it happens to be an actual Prothean. That's actually pretty huge. It is supposed to be the last known Prothean uh, currently in existence. No matter how you slice it, it's a very intriguing story. Your job is to find the codes that will help unlock this sarcophagus, the stasis pod, that the Prothean is locked away in. As you do so, as you go through and make sure that you find everything you need, Shepard is assaulted by flashbacks, very similar to Mass Effect 1 when he touched the Prothean beacon. It's kind of a huge moment there because it's a nice nod to the original games and what actually started it all. After fighting off waves of Cerberus troops and a Cerberus mech, you get the chance to unlock Javik from his slumber. Now, you've already seen some of what happened. You see that he was part of the last bastion of the Prothean race, holding out against a Reaper assault, or Collector assault, more specifically. Uh, you see that his people are slowly dying, that he's one of the last of his kind, and you kind of got an idea that it was a desperate time. You also see that he is a fan, he's a great warrior and a general. He's a leader of his people. When he's awoken, he's not exactly friendly. He sees you as a threat, and you have to convince him to that you are on the same side. Shepard, being the interstellar badass that he is, manages to convince him that he can come back to the Normandy, that they're out to stop the Reapers. This is where it starts to get interesting, because you start to get information about Prothean society. First, you find out that, in one of your primary interactions, that there were many avatars in the Prothean race. They were Protheans who embodied a single virtue for the society, whether it was peace, compassion, science, what have you. Javik himself is now an avatar. He, he calls himself the avatar of vengeance, and with good reason. He's out blood for blood. He's the last Prothean alive, and the Reapers, they took everything from him. What you see is an opportunity to sort of get more information about the Prothean Empire. As the game goes on, you also see that Javik has sort of a, a memory clip, a memory stick. Protheans don't impart information telepathically or through spoken word or through anything like that. What they do do is at a genetic level. They implant the information into you. It's much faster and conveys the information a lot more efficiently than any form of communication that you currently have. He refuses to let you touch the shard at the beginning, and he won't touch it himself. He doesn't want to talk about it. As time goes on and you earn his trust, he will eventually let you touch the shard. And this is very important. Once you touch the shard, you're taken back in time to where you see Javik was in command of a ship, very much like Shepard was and the Normandy. What winds up happening is, is that you see that all of his crew was taken and indoctrinated by the Collectors and the Reapers, and then were sent against him as tools to kill him. Javik, expending everything he has to get his crew back, is forced to then slit their throats with the only weapon he has left, a knife, in order to 
free them from the Reaper control. It's a very touching scene. It's a very powerful scene, especially for Shepard. The two at this point will start sharing a camaraderie. They have similar fates. Shepard is the commander sent to basically be the last bastion of hope against the Reapers. That's what Javik was. Except Javik failed. He is a reminder of what might happen should Shepard fail in his mission against the Reapers. Now, while it's all doom and gloom there, he's a fantastic addition to your your group on any of the missions you take. His interactions with the individual characters of your crew are phenomenal. With Vega, he has a running count back and forth, very similar to that of Lord of the Rings with Gimli and Legolas, where it's, oh, I can do this, I can do this better, and sort of the body count. With Liara, it's a constant putting down. It's a... I remember when the Asari couldn't read and write, oh, you've come so far since your primitive state. You have to understand, he's been 50,000 years he's been asleep. He's had all of his friends and family die. And even when he was in stasis, all those that survived with him have sort of, as power was became scarce in order to preserve his life, they sort of shut down one by one. You find out that the, that the Prothean Empire was not exactly as idealistic as everybody thought it was. Yes, they were technologically advanced. That much is true. But they also had slaves. They subjugated the races, forced them to join in an alliance with them, or face extinction. Basically, it was, you can join us, or you can face the Reapers on your own. Your choice. They were very cutthroat about it. There's a lot of shock going on there, too. Especially because... Everybody's idolized the Prothean race since they've heard about it, since it was discovered. With that idealization kind of, well, in the shitter, it kind of puts a whole new spin on it. Now, one of the cool things about him is that it gives you an opportunity to see not just how they fought or how they lived, but his commentary on current day affairs. He comments about how communication is primitive. He comments on how the ships and weapons are antiquated. He talks about uh, what the Reapers are. It just he's enriches everything about the game. Another cool thing is if you take him on a mission where, let's say, you have your love interest with you and you flirt back and forth, he has a few choice words for you and a few snide comments that talk about emotion and being a human. It's an absolutely phenomenal character. Everything about him. Everything you learn about him, from the 50,000 years ago with the last stand against the Reapers, all the way to everything now. It's just, he enriches the game in such a way that it makes it that much more enjoyable. Yes, you can do the game without having him. You don't have to unlock him. He is not a key plot point. He is, however, very fun. He interacts with the crew in such a way that it makes it that much better. Um, you can see things like absolute hatred for Edie when she's in her physical body. Uh, you can see snide comments to Ashley Williams. You can see uh, him looking down the his nose at Garrus and Liara. There's just so much interaction. There's so much play. He also is, has a fantastic voice actor. The person that's in charge of his voice work does a phenomenal job of keeping him even and cold and military, 
but at the same point giving you hints of that that emotion right under the surface. It's a phenomenal mix. His interactions with Shepard, the earning of the camaraderie, and everything in between make him well worth picking up. If nothing else, it helps you tie up some loose ends that started in Mass Effect 1. It helps you put some things in perspective. It helps you get some more information on the Protheans, which, again, is what started this whole thing in the first place. And it helps you get a sort of closure that is absolutely worth the $10. If you haven't downloaded it and play it, I highly suggest that you spend the money, download it, play through it, play through the game with him in your party, and if you don't want him in your party for certain missions, interact with him often. After key, you know, missions, after things that, you know, events that happen, after cinematics, talk with him. He will offer amazing insight. And you can see that he's sort of almost like the darker side of Shepard. And I'm not just talking about renegade Shepard, but Shepard that was forced to make some really hard decisions and cost a lot of lives and just a lot of, for lack of a better term here, his humanity. Well worth your time. I highly suggest you take the time and spend the money to enjoy what just enriches the game, even if it's a second or third playthrough. It will add so much more to your experience. Again, it's not necessary, but highly recommended. What's up, man? God damn, I was starting to forget what buttons to press. <laughs> How do I do this podcasting thing again? You press the <coughs> let Vince do it button. Yeah, really. It was, <laughs> I was listening to the ones from this week and it was like, <laughs> you guys don't need me anymore. What the hell am I sticking around for? And then I got to the end of <laughs> Comic Book Informer. I was like, oh, they do need me. <laughs> Either that or he did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, like I wouldn't have noticed five minutes the episode was missing. <laughs> I don't sound terrible, Mal. This is the male equivalent of when a woman is all husky on the phone when you call that those special numbers. I know you do it. If not you, at least who's. I sound male sexy. In that maybe he'll vomit all over me. Kind of <laughs> There are people into that. <laughs> there are people into everything. You know what's scary? <laughs> Is that I'm editing last week's For the Lore with YouTube and I'm nuts. And Joe starts on about the Mr. Pandaria stuff. And it's like, ah, oh, damn. <laughs> that sounds like fun. <laughs> no. Would like to have run tests on seashells. Dude, my son's jaw dropped when I told him that you shot him. And it, it wasn't like one of those like fake for effect kind of things. It was, it, you, it just shocked him. And That's pretty much the reaction I've gotten from everybody. <laughs> yeah, he's still young enough that he has that, you know, that, that, that Im not immature, but that young mentality of, you know, most people are supposed to be good and stuff. And it's just, 
it just shocked. And I was like, what? But, but how could he do that? <laughs> Why? It's like, yeah, that's what he said. And, yeah. Slarian's <laughs> offered a better, better deal. What do you want me to say? <laughs> Not really. Oh, don't, don't. Trust me, I suffered the consequences later on. Yeah, I really, if I got a choice of an army full of freaking crazed Krogans that want to slaughter the world, the galaxy, because they're mad about the genophage, versus little wimpy Solarians and their fancy guns. But you see, the the option that was before me was I could have had the pissed off Krogans and the Solarians. Apparently not. When did I say that? Oh, you got them both? I'm not telling you. Oh, Jesus. Well, we're going to talk about it. Fine, I'll tell you then. I just saw him pop up in Skype. He's not on my Skype. I'm well, just gonna you try don't know to how him. to use Skype, as we've established. That is not the case here. There's there. It's either green check mark or gray <laughs> X, and he's still got a gray X beside him. Jesus. I see green check mark. No, I don't, but I'm going to try him anyway. You're not in purple parallel with my orange sphere. Yeah, really. But I am a black bisector. Moved it a little bit further away from me because I had it right on top of me. Actually, it's better when it's closer to you, but the volume is lower on the microphone. Then it picks up less ambient sounds, and God knows you got a ton of those. All right. Moving that one sec. <laughs> in this case, ambient sounds refers to Tartan the dog. And the cat. And, and the cat. And the keyboard. The assorted menagerie. <laughs> the pop. Any better? <laughs> yeah, that'll be fine. Okay. You're the devil in disguise. Oh, yes, you are. Devil in disguise. Oh, yes, you are.